0: I think music is still my highest form mm. of healing. Being able to spend time with my breath, with my emotions, with my body, and to see what sounds want to come through me that day, what needs to be released, what wants to be expressed. Music is such a gift. So the gift of music is in me and like allowing myself the gift of time to be able to connect in and express. Music is one of my favorite practices to go to, to help nurture protect, express, heal, transform, you know, inspire, like all good things come from music.
1: How might our lives be different if more of us felt genuinely worthy and confident? What would our world look like if we lived with more power, liberation, and purpose? Welcome to the She's Her Podcast, where we investigate what it means to own our story and create the kind of change we want for ourselves and our communities. I'm your host, Emily Jennings, and you found the place where extraordinary everyday people from different professions and walks of life share with you the empath, change maker, truth teller, disruptor, and creator and lover of humanity and life about how to honor our voice and live with more power, creativity, and joy. Thank you so much for being here. Today, I have the honor of speaking with Amber Field. Amber is a talented musician, captivating performer, and master teacher in San Francisco. Amber has a unique gift to share music and expressive arts as healing, liberating practices for individuals and communities. Amber's mission is to free our voices in harmony with others as we co-create a world of collective liberation. And they have programs kicking off in the San Francisco Bay Area starting October 9th. Go to amberfieldmusic.com to learn more about ongoing and seasonal events, teachings and offerings. In this episode, we learn about what it took for Amber to reclaim their voice and trans identity as an Asian American. Amber shares how chronic body pain forced them to go deeper within themselves and come back into their body. Amber shares about personalizing ritual and how they used it for a deeper level of healing and freedom. Amber invites us to be courageous, keep showing up exactly as we are, and to keep loving ourselves through the process of becoming and reclaiming the full spectrum of our true selves. So, right now, I invite you to relax drop in, and listen with an open heart and mind. So Amber Field, this is one of my most favorite conversations in the whole world to have, so thank you so much for being here to have it with me. Yay, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> um, so for those who do not know you and have not heard of your fabulous programs, can you give us an idea of who you are and where you're from? <laughs> My name is Amber. I live on the every floor.
0: Um, <laughs> who am I? Wow, Emily, such a deep question. Know, right? Off such the a back. big existential
1: question. <laughs> who, who am I? Who are you?
0: <laughs> oh my. I'm um, the
1: infinite being of all possibilities. <laughs> I'm a shapeshifter
0: in every moment. <laughs> um, I am I am a shapeshifter. Um, I am hmm I am remembering I'm remembering my wholeness my goodness I am remembering um, that I am a piece of stardust and a part of the earth and the waters and the trees I am remembering
1: I'm remembering that I'm whole And in this moment, I'm remembering (laughs) that I'm a catalyst of love and freedom. Like that is today. That's what Mm, I am. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Catalyst of love and freedom. Beautiful. And I found you. Do you know? I don't know if you know this, but I actually found you because I was doing a search for yogic chanting meditation
0: right uh, oh kirtan, kirtan, kirtan
1: yeah. i was doing a search for kirtan and that's actually the first time i saw you mm-hmm. and then i saw your ads on facebook for the free your voice workshop and i was like that looks awesome oh great yeah and so i just finished up that with you mm-hmm. that was an amazing experience mm-hmm. On so many levels. It was so uncomfortable.
0: And <laughs> <laughs> You just showed up every day. I, I know. I loved now, it. But like know? it's a
1: growing. It's a yeah, like growth it's expanding like, yeah. discomfort. Like yeah. there's uncomfortable that's like harm. And right. makes you shrink. Yeah. And then there's uncomfortable that's like I imagine getting through this. And being a whole new level of freedom. Yeah. Or having access to a whole new level of freedom and power. Mm-hmm. And that's what it was like. And that's what keeps I think so many people coming back. Because yeah, right? you lean into that epidemic of fear mm-hmm. and it's just startling mm-hmm. to see it so clearly and heavily in myself and mm-hmm. so many other people mm-hmm. I just wish I had a magic wand it could make it all go away yeah. <laughs> but it's not that easy and I've wondered so much about like what has it taken for you to like gather all these tools and draw from so many traditions mm-hmm. and you've done a brilliant job of honoring them mm-hmm. and honoring so many different indigenous songs and practices Mm -hmm. and embodiment practices. Mm -hmm. What has that taken? Many workshops. Yeah. (laughs) Many workshops it's taken. Um, Yeah.
0: You know, some people's personalities are like single focus. You know, they will devote their whole life to one field. I am much more of a generalist and I like sort of the multi-pronged approach I started out playing music when I was a kid. I mean, it gave me a good musical foundation, but it wasn't really my thing, and I hadn't really found my voice in the music. I was more playing other people's music. But when I went to India in my early 20s, I fell in love with a straight Slovenian woman who was a musician. (laughs) And because she was straight, she did not want to sleep with me, but she loved music. So I was like, okay, well... You know, I'm not going to be able to bond with her the way I really want to, but I can bond musically with her. So I was like, let me learn drumming, didgeridoo, any instrument you want so that I can bond with you and connect. Um, So that's how my musical journey began. But then my voice journey, it was actually the last instrument to come in of all of them. Because all the other instruments, um, I felt like I could a little bit hide behind the instrument, meaning I could blow into the didgeridoo and it would make sounds. I could even scream into the didgeridoo. I could be cursing into the didgeridoo, Um, but it was filtering it through this sort of warped way so that you couldn't really hear what I was saying, or you know, you could get a sense of like, oh, that little shriek sounded cool, but they didn't really know that like that was a scream of anguish, for instance. Anyway, after years of playing the didgeridoo, and I was, like, singing into the ditch, so I found my closet, you know, shower singer and was, like, channeling it through um, that instrument. After Wait, had... I'm sorry, a shower singer? Just meaning, like, <laughs> it's, is... like, you know, like, when you're walking on the beach alone oh, yeah, and yeah, you yeah. sing or you're in the yeah. shower and you think that no one can hear you. Oh, that's the kind I am.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a total shower singer. <laughs> totally. <laughs> or in the car or whatever. Right, right. So I think
0: most of us are, are, are okay. have this being, um... And I had my singer that came through my didgeridoo. And after years of playing the didge, I was just like, I would love to have the courage to be able to take this instrument out in front of my lips, move it aside, and just do the same thing into the world and have people witness me and be like, oh, that person over there is screaming at the top of their lungs, or that person is singing, or that person is yelling, or whatever it might be. But it just felt so vulnerable and raw to be able to do that. But that was my goal, and that happened, um, I'd say, in my late 20s. How long were you in India? I was in India for like three and a half years. Okay. Yeah, I was in music school there doing classical Indian um, drumming, actually, in strings, hmm. S. So I wasn't even a vocalist then. But I was just getting more musical training. And it's when I moved to Korea, that's when I really started to sing, because I formed this punk band. That's
1: awesome. And,
0: uh, you, know, you know, you can't have didgeridoo on every single song. It's like, it a little <laughs> old. So I was like, well, I'll become the lead singer, and I've never sung before, but mm-hmm. let's try. So, yeah, I really started to find
1: my voice in singing in that project. Was and, that leap difficult? To go from from ditch to singing?
0: No, because I was already singing into the ditch. Oh, okay. So, so it, was it was just, just a, matter a matter of removing that? Removing the fear.
1: Well, that's a good step, huh? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it was getting
0: over the fear and just being able to stand there and not hide behind this big wooden log in front of my mouth, mm-hmm. but, you know, speak my truth or sing it into the mic. Music was, like, really transformational for me, and it was a very safe place for me to express my emotions and for me to be creative and for me to just feel like... I was able to get out my truth and do it in an artistic creative way and to get a lot of feedback and um love from the audience yeah. again i didn't start out as a singer like some people were like i've been singing since i'm i was three and you know there's videos of them like amazing voices and musicals all throughout childhood i wasn't one of these kids um i was musical but i was not connected in with my voice at all when i first began singing in my like mid to late 20s my voice had a certain quality because I was in a lot of pain then that it was kind of this uh, kind of choked like in the throat like ah. it was like strained it was choked it was um, you know I I do a lot of shrieking and yelling but there was still this kind of constrained quality to it so when I tried to sing and I listened to my early recordings I am off pitch some of the time I'm not hitting certain high notes there's a sort of um, muddy quality to my voice and there's a lot of like uh, this I'd say quiet pain, quiet rage to my voice, but as I kept singing, I watched how levels started to clear, and you know from like rage, I went into grief, into more quiet, and then like five years later, I hit joy in my vocal journey.
1: That's it, amazing. Yeah. Because I think I'm more in the rage stage of my face. Joy is coming. Right. right, right. (laughs) But, but, and I know, like, on this journey Mm -hmm. of doing this project and talking to people, Mm -hmm. and then unplanned conversations come up too. Like, everyone's at a different stage in terms of knowing themselves and understanding their process and Mm -hmm. their journey. And we're like, okay, give me the five steps, right? right? Like, what are the stages and how long do they take? And yeah, <laughs> like, I want to yeah. get through it ASAP so totally. I can just get to the joy. Totally. And I think it takes a different kind of a muscle to sit through yeah. and just trust the organic totally. nature of that it won't last forever. Yeah. And it needs to be witnessed. Yeah. yeah. And that's so hard.
0: It's hard because, I mean, yeah. we, you know, I think about this all the time, whether it's about like... Um, us being in our power or us being joyful or whatever, you know, positive value that our capitalistic societies are, um, you know, attributing and valuing. Capitalism is really about every single quarter is like increasing profits. Like more, 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 every, every, you know, season. And if not, we're going to like fire you or make cuts or whatever. That is so unnatural. If you look at our natural world, we have winter where things are just completely hard, cold underneath the earth. There is nothing happening. You're in a big hibernation. Then you have spring where things are coming out, and like you put the season, and now they're slowly, slowly starting to come through. Summer things are in full bloom, and then in autumn it's like coming back down into the earth and like harvesting. You know, so. You know when I went through my vocal process for years, I would sit there and i and I had a little bit of judgment and shame, and I'd just be like, "When will my voice ever convey joy?" You know, I try to like sing joyful, happy songs, and I just couldn't do it. There was this like sad quality to my voice, and it was embarrassing on some level, and like i just I didn't like hearing like pain for so many years when I sang. But I just kept going, you know, hoping one day it's going to change and I'm going to be able to access different emotions. But, yeah, I mean, I sat in the dark for five years before I could hear joy. But those five years were, like, incredibly necessary for me to just keep releasing, releasing, shedding layer after layer of grief. And, I mean, at the same time, in the world, there is constant pain and joy happening at all times. So, you know, people could relate to my grief, yeah. you know? Um I'm in a phase of my life now where I'm like, okay, I feel like I'm sort of plateauing a little bit. I'd like to step even more into my power and how is that going to look? And I don't know. So again, I'm sitting in the sort of winter visioning in the dark cave where things are not quite clear what direction I'm going to go. But I'm not like leaping like I need to just pick something and go and like be productive and like, you know, bigger, bigger. It's like everything for me is about sustainability. So my career is about sustainable growth, like everything I do, and like we have seasons which are winter, which are no movement, where you're in the quiet, the dreaming, the dreaming what's gonna come next, Mm -hmm. you know? So my music career, like this Free Your Voice program, I think one of the strengths of it is that I didn't start out as a singer. I wasn't one of those people who's just like, I love singing, my voice has been free my whole life, you know? So I have so much compassion for people, who experience a lot of shame and judgment, um, around their voices, abuse, um, and just people who are just like I can't sing, or like in my family system or in my society, it wasn't safe for me to speak my truth or to be who I am. So my classes are a really safe, uh, welcoming space for everyone. I have people who love singing. I have professional singers, and I have people who've never sung or have so much shame or people who just have a lot of trauma around their voices. And we create a safe space together from all the different tools and modalities that I've encountered in my life.
1: I love the variety of tools and modalities, and I love how you incorporate the embodiment piece of Mm -hmm. it because that is something that is so missing from so many different areas of education Yeah, because it it just gets all up here, and it, it doesn't really shift until you feel it totally in your body yeah so i really appreciate that about the work that you're doing
0: thank you yeah yeah i did a um a tamalpa three-year training program tamalpa is in a a movement-based expressive arts program up in marin and before i did that program you know i was in a like crippling back pain and had completely checked out of my body like uh lots of trauma you know, I had wrecked my back over and over again, just trying to be bigger than who I was, Yeah. always trying to carry more, be more, be better. So I'd really wrecked my back. So by the time I like got into that program, I had like fires burning down my sciatic nerves and my legs. I couldn't walk. I mean, it would take me 10 minutes to walk, you know, one city block. I had to like crouch down all the time. I was like using crutches That's intense. Oh, it was so hard, so bad. Like, the the chronic pain that I was in for about a year. And then at the end, I mean, I was, like, uh, super humbling. I was in a wheelchair, you know. So I entered that program, and I knew I had massive trauma in my life that I needed to address. And I knew that my body pain was screaming at me to get back into my body. Like, I wanted to be so far gone, and, like, I'd left my body. But body pain has a way of really forcing you back in. So it forced me back in, and so I did this training program of, like, it was called body part mythology, where every month you're looking at a different body part and the stories that it has to tell, Mm -hmm. um, through sound and movement and drawing and writing and performance, And that program was very transformational for me because one, it provided me a safe place for me to get back into my body and to make art about what was happening there. You know, that's definitely informed my work. I was very heady, very much into theory before that. So in my programs, I love to help people come back into their bodies to tell our stories through voice work, through movement, etc. And then using a wide variety of modalities, um, some of them like more sound meditation, a little more inner reflective, some of them more expressive and outward, you know, like noise making, play, fun, you can think about doing when you're a little kid. A lot of group singing, singing practices are so good for bonding groups. Yeah, so it's like different modalities to just help people like connect with themselves and each other.
1: One of the most powerful experiences I had in your course, which was for me. Everybody has something different, right? <laughs> but for me, it was when you had us line up, we are an inner circle and then an outer circle, and we had just this really simple song mm-hmm. and we sang it to each other. Yeah. oh my gosh. it was so moving yeah. to because I one I couldn't remember the last time I'd been sung to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. also to then give that as well to like give and receive totally. that It was so intimate and so powerful. Yeah. and then also the power of doing that with love Mm -hmm. with motivation Mm -hmm, with mm -hmm. soothing with tenderness and peace like it was yeah it was amazing yeah
0: no i mean our society again it's like who are the singers who are the entertainers and everyone else like oh we can't do that so i think in most you know indigenous cultures or non-western cultures Everyone is singing! Everyone is dancing! It's part of their ceremonies, it's part of their rituals, part of their, like, ways of being together. But somehow in our society we got divorced and there are the people you pay who are up on stage and then the rest of us, plebeians, sitting there, like, adoring them. And I really believe that everyone can sing. When we were little children, little babies, before we knew language, we were singing. We were cooing and babbling and crying and moaning and laughing and you know, gibberish, all of that, it was our song. And then as we learn language, instead of being like, oh, it's really you know, like I'm making joyful, happy sounds, you just be like, I'm having a really good day today. So we lost access to our breath and to our emotions and to our bodies, natural way of expressing the song that we are feeling in the moment. So I firmly believe that we all can sing and it's so joyful. Whatever you want to communicate, it's just such a joy in being able to express that. The process itself is joyful. So, I really want to help people um, come back to that place where we're all singing again. Yeah.
1: I leave feeling like that is definitely the better side of myself. You know? <laughs> totally. like, I leave work on Friday and I'm like, this is not my best side. <laughs> and I leave Amber's class on Sunday night and I'm like, okay, I'm my better self again. yeah, yeah. It's So, it's just amazing to feel that difference and also to see it in the other participants. Totally. Of like, you create this space for this very deep it feels like ancient mm-hmm. very natural mm-hmm. way of being that feels very whole yeah ah oh. I wish we could do it more.
0: Yeah, me too. I mean, I need it as much as everyone else in my class, you Mm -hmm. know? It's like, okay, just had a fight with my wife, and Mm. now I'm showing up, and (laughs) okay, pretending to be jolly, or not, or maybe expressing... But there's space for that, right?
1: Like, there's space to be in grief and despair, and there's space to be elated and in love and apathy and everywhere in between on the full spectrum, which is also, like... You don't get that many places either. I
0: love the opening um, exercise we yeah. often do where you make a sound and movement for how you're feeling yes. right yes. and people are like, Bleh. <laughs> or like, yeah, you know, you have every feeling going on in the right. room and then you automatically feel better, right? right. Uh, and then, you and then to, it and just clears. Totally, and clears. And then you're like,
1: what's our intention now? <laughs> totally. Okay, let's focus on this. It's like, imagine if we took that to our work, right? Yeah. Like, if you were like, how was your weekend? Or are you kicked off the work week like that, that would be, it would be so honest, and, yeah. like, create just a deeper level of connection and trust. Totally. Yes. Yeah. And creativity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, one of the things we share is a complex relationship with our mothers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think
0: many people have that. Many people relationship have complex relationships with their, relationships their
1: parents. With yeah. Our yeah. parents. Yeah, yeah. It obviously is like a key example mm-hmm. of someone who can or can't own their voice, can mm-hmm. or can't speak their truth. Mm-hmm can or can't love themselves exactly as they are and embody and, and model and teach that. I know for me it's so difficult because mm. I really love her. Yeah. And I really want her to be happy and mm. and thrive. I also have a lot of rage. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I know there's an impact on speaking my truth. So yeah. it's always a tricky dance of like what do I say and how do I say it and right. when do I say it and is it do i even need to say it totally. and and it's evolving and like what is my truth mm-hmm. a year ago mm-hmm. is not necessarily the same story I tell now yeah but i try to capture key moments that mm-hmm. that help that give examples of like mm-hmm. okay what helps you reclaim it mm-hmm. and sometimes it's also helpful to identify okay when was it shut down right and i know for me personally like i remember really harsh specific yeah traumatizing right. moments that shut it down I can mm-hmm. trace back mm-hmm. to my mother and when mm-hmm. I put myself in her shoes mm-hmm. I know that she had very similar mm-hmm. moments right and so it's so tricky yeah. to hold compassion totally but also like enough totally enough yeah, I'm yeah, fed yeah. up yeah 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 I think that's as much detail as mm-hmm. I can go into about my mm-hmm. complex mm-hmm. and rich journey with mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. and um, how much that has shaped me. Yeah. I notice I want to put a judgment on how that shaped me, like good or bad or mm-hmm. positive or negative, but it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And I also am so thankful to be alive at a time when there are tools that mm-hmm. generations before us have not totally. had. Yeah. There are trainings and there are methodologies right. and that I know that if my mom had access to these, I would have a different story. Totally. Right?
0: Yeah, and that's, you know, the beauty of, if you look at like ancestral healing, you know, if you think about you being able to do your healing, you are healing all the past generations and healing what's about to come in the future generations. So on that level, like, we are so lucky. We have the privilege and the opportunity now living today with living in the Bay Area and all these amazing, you know, modalities and healing resources at our fingertips, we have the ability to heal for all of our family lines, past and future. And it's a big task, but we are fortunate that we have that opportunity. As you said, your mother didn't even have access to these tools, you know? Like,
1: I get that on Mm -hmm. an intellectual, spiritual Mm -hmm. level, but Mm then (laughs) on a real level, (laughs) When I actually have to go home or face it, yeah, you yeah. know, face to face and not being heard or be feeling like I'm being gaslighted or totally, whatever, totally. like that is a different story. Yeah, yeah. So,
0: yeah. totally. No, yeah. I mean, I feel like my mother is gaslighting me too. But it's, how do we deal with that? You know what I mean? I don't have any control or power over my mother's behavior, but I have power over my own reaction. So with my mom. There's been a series of ways that she has not shown up for me in being queer, and being trans, etc. And, you know, I can give all that, like, okay, she's 82 years old. She grew up in a different generation. She's religious. I mean, I can give all of these reasons and conditions why she is the way she is. And so I have understanding and I have some level of compassion. And, you know, I was able to very clearly tell my mother, look, you didn't show up for me the way that I would have liked 25 years ago when I came out. And I get all the conditions why you weren't able to do that then. And now things are changing through time, and I wish 15, 20 years ago, five years ago, you could have said, I'm sorry that I couldn't show up for you the way that you wanted then. But I can now. But you couldn't do that then. So now I'm telling you now, at age 44, what I would like from you, which would be to apologize about what happened, to take some of responsibility. Say sorry and then we can figure out a way to partner together to like move forward so that we are in good relationship. But she can't do those things. You know, my speaking my truth and telling her I didn't like that, this is what I needed, she's just a big like get out of my life. I don't want to hear the impact that my actions had on you. Mm-hmm. And I know some of the impact that my actions have had on her. Mm-hmm. Talking in podcasts about what has happened with my mother, she gets very publicly shamed, humiliated, and brings up all of her stuff, so I get it. So there's always a way that I'm like, wow, how could I be more skillful? You know, how instead of only talking about like the ways my mother hasn't shown up, how could I talk about the way she has shown up? How could I fill out this picture and make it more round and whole? So there is a way that, you know, I take responsibility for some of the ways that I've hurt my mother. And I'm just proud of myself at this moment in time that I finally spoke up about how I don't like the ways that she believes in a certain religion which has beliefs which are anti-gay and how that impacts my relationship with her and how I wish she didn't believe these things and how I wish she could show up for me. And her uh, response was to say, well, consider yourself cut off again. So she just cut me off again and she hasn't talked to me for six months. Ouch. Very painful, Ouch! ouch, ouch. very painful. And I mean, I went through a lot of grief. I think all the grief that I felt when this happened, I was actually, processing and all the grief that I felt when I was 20 when she did this, but I had no tools to be able to deal. Back then I just drugged myself into oblivion trying to like deal with the pain. My friend like helped me reframe this where she said, you know, cause I've been feeling, I was feeling very victimized by this. Like yet again, my mother's doing this to me and like, what did I do bad or wrong? And like beating myself up, like, Oh, if only I could have said this differently or done this differently. It's always like me, me, me. If only I could have done, done something better, none of this would have happened. And she just said, like, it sounds like you're able to really speak your truth to your mother very clearly. And you did it with kindness, you know, and you did it with the intention of repair and asking to partner with your mother and, and speaking your story. But your mother couldn't handle it. And it sounds like you are at the point in your life where you're able to handle the consequences of speaking your truth. So if the consequences, your mother cuts you off, you're actually strong enough to deal with that. And it was a total reframe for me because I was like, yeah, you are right. I finally spoke my truth. And the elephant in the room was, like, always about her religion. I never wanted to go attack or point at the religion. But finally I was like, you know what? I am so sick of you believing in this religion, which will make me bad and moral wrong, etc. Like, why? Like, just choose me. Choose our relationship, you know? And she just was, like, out of my life, you know, because I think for her her whole life is built around believing in this religion. and It if, sounds like
1: her identity. Her identity, well. totally. So she reconsiders that and that, then that's a lot of work at it's however many too, decades old to It's read. a total
0: crumbling of her entire structure. Oh. And I mean, I was super religious when I was in my teens. So when I came out, I had a huge crisis of faith because mm. I fervently be- believed that homosexuality was wrong. Mm. So when I found out that I was queer, I... I was suicidal. I was just like completely broken. I was like, oh my god, my family, my mother, my re- religion are going to kick me out. What am I going to do? Because I believe my whole life that this is wrong or bad. But I now I am one of these people. But I don't feel wrong or bad. But I must be wrong. I mean, it was a total crisis. It's so much mental gymnastics totally. to like sort through. So my mother doesn't want to ah. go through that at yeah. eighty two. Yeah. She just wants to keep no no. Well, I'm just gonna believe because this is what it says. Believe it and it's the truth. I don't know why, but I just have to believe. So I get like why most people don't want to question because their whole life will crumble. But and I asked her to, and she was like, no, would rather not have you in my life than have to like have my life crumble and.
1: Well, it's huge to like look back at what it's taken mm-hmm. to get to the point of you being like. This is who I am. And I see these factors that impact where you're at, and this is my invitation. Yeah. And to be okay with it not being met. Totally. Or, I mean, I don't know if okay is the right word, but...
0: I mean, it was devastating. I did a public um, ritual around it where I actually held a mock funeral for my mother. Wow. And the funeral was actually more a funeral of the hope of my little child that she would be the mother that I wanted her to be. Because that little child has hoped for forty four years that mommy is finally going to see me and love me just as I am, yeah. and I was continuously disappointed. Um, so many people can relate to that. Oh yeah, so I yeah. I was just like you know, and if I and my little child was like, well, maybe if I said it differently, well, maybe this. So I mean, I was sending like gratitude emails. I like, oh, if yeah. I just do this, mom will come right. back. So finally, you know, my therapist was like, it really sounds like you need to have a a funeral for this mother that's never going to show up for you in the way you need so I did a private you know ritual like a drama theater um, with him and then I was like you know what I just want to have a public ritual around this so the funeral was a part again burial of the hope of my little child it was also a burial of um Of Some of the ways that I found myself perpetuating intergenerational trauma, Mm. like the ways that my mom raised me and, you know, she would have a lot of rage and control, which I know comes from fear. And then the ways that I saw myself parenting under moments of stress, acting like her, And isn't just, that scary oh my god it's so, so scary it's <laughs> like oh my god i actually had so much more compassion for my mother when yeah. i became a parent yeah so much more because i could see like oh my and god and you're a step-parent right i'm a step parent. and that's a
1: whole oh, kind another kind of parenting totally. <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Totally. So anyway, I had that public ritual Mm -hmm. and I, you know, named some things that I do that I don't want to do anymore. And I buried that. And I was just like, I'm burying myself. I'm burying my mother. I'm burying the hope of a little child. I'm burying intergenerational trauma. And out of it sprouted my, um, my penis. So I'm, you know, (laughs) trans, I'm Mm non-binary. And like from the grave, like out of the compost of the grave, my penis came sprouting out like a beautiful baobab tree, um, my wings came out so that I could fly. My eye, three hundred sixty degrees, so I could see all directions mm-hmm. and like who's with me on either side, past, future, mm-hmm. um, and a huge jellyfish heart, which was beating compassion and love and joy. Wow. So yeah, that was a very um rich ritual to do to really claim my um my trans identity and claim. You know the bigness of my heart and my vision and my um, ability to fly.
1: Wow! Thank yeah. you for sharing that. Yeah. A ritual like that is transformational. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's so deeply missing in modern mm-hmm. culture, in modern Western culture, mm-hmm. is ritual. Yeah. Around grief. Totally. Death. Yeah. Rebirth. Um, all. All, major all life of transitions. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts on? on how to how how do we integrate or create new ritual Mm. well like with honoring not appropriating Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) you know it's Mm -hmm. it seems like a fine line and it Mm -hmm. matters where you come from Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because you you do this work Mm -hmm, with mm -hmm. through your class Mm -hmm. ritual like creating my own personal rituals Mm -hmm. has been a way that i've Mm -hmm. learned to nourish myself yeah like i've been oh it's been a way i've learned to protect myself How to tap into the kind of, if you want to use stereotypical gender norms, like Mm -hmm. the paternal and Mm -hmm. the maternal, like how do I tap into the paternal and the maternal parts of me? Because I only know the best ways to protect and to nurture that terrified little child. Yeah. Right. So to go through, I've had a couple um, personalized rituals where I go back to those Mm -hmm. trauma moments and Mm. witness and reframe. Yeah and reassure my inner child that you're not alone baby girl you know I we're here yeah yeah. and we can't change these circumstances Mm -hmm. but you're gonna be okay Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. what are some of your thoughts on like on how to do that or how have you done that for yourself definitely some of the
0: therapy that I've had Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of expressive arts and drama therapy Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of um you know uh call them rituals, I guess, you know, going back in, as you said, to like show up for the little child in that moment. Also, like I hold grief rituals, I co-facilitate with another facilitator where, yeah, as you said, in Western society, we don't know how to come together to like help as a collective to move through trauma
1: and grief and whatnot. Especially our collective trauma, like like mass Mm -hmm. shootings Mm -hmm. or, you know, like all of these, these traumas that are like, need to be witnessed and moved through. Totally. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, we're doing grief work together
0: where again, it can be like the grief of the passing of a loved one, or it can be like the collective grief that we're holding, whatever grief, you know, the grief of like an identity shifting. So we do rituals where we are again, using expressive arts and inviting people to use creative processes and a lot of witnessing to help us collectively move through our grief. I think Western society is tricky, especially American culture, because we are so cut off from our roots. Mm -hmm. You know, whether you're a recent immigrant or your family's been here five generations, there's a way that coming to America, America wants you to become American and to kind of forget about all your other cultural practices other than the food. America loves food from other cultures. But (laughs) other than the food like You were so right. 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 (laughs) Taco Tuesdays, right? (laughs) Um, so (laughs) yeah um so like in the ancestral healing class we really were grappling with how can we connect in with our ancestral stories right and like most of the people it's like well maybe i have a photo or a little story about my grandmother but after that like it gets very foggy and i don't know what traditions we used, and i don't you know i'm not connected in with like the music or folk tales or any of that you know so there's a way that like as Americans, I feel like we're so cut off that they're, it's so easy to go appropriate other cultures, yeah. you know, because we yeah. have nothing right. here. Uh, we, we destroyed everything else. So, um, you know, we asked our participants to go connect in with like a cultural tradition, whether it be a song or a dance or a story. And most of the participants came back and just said, this was such a hard week. I felt like I was culturally appropriating my own culture, you know? Wow. Yeah. So, and most of us said that, um, and that is the reconnection there. Because
1: and that's of, kind of the mindfuckery of whiteness. Right. <laughs> right? <laughs> totally. Yeah. And not even whiteness,
0: you know, Mm. like for all the immigrant participants, you know, who've been here for a while. It's just like it feels so strange. Like all of us are like, it feels really weird to try to connect with Korean culture, whatever culture, you know, it doesn't feel like mine anymore. Like I've just lost it coming to Hmm. America. But I think confronting that loss is part of the healing. And then really instead of getting just stopped by the loss of like, oh, my God, there's loss here and I don't even want to go there. But like sitting in those feelings and then actively moving towards reconnecting in with our cultural traditions, and then we, you know, we did a field trip to Indian Canyon, which is like near Gilroy. It's one of the, like along the California northern coast. It's the only federally recognized Ohlone land that the Ohlone have continuously lived on since time immemorial, and we did a, um, a field trip there and when we asked the woman how to be on the land, she just said, make every step a prayer. And we need healing in this society. We need all of you to be doing healing. So make every step a prayer. And they have like five different ceremonial sites where there is constant ceremony happening. They have sweat lodges. They had a group that was doing ayahuasca medicine there that weekend. Um, and so, you know, when her daughter came to speak at our program called Diverse Legacies, her daughter was younger, and I got a sense more of like her total rage that like white people and specifically, but you know, generally other people were like kind of raiding indigenous culture, you know, and then selling it back to the masses and making a lot of money off of it, like the sort of neo shamanic, yeah. you know. Um, Shamanism is so like popular nowadays. So there's a way when I listened to her talk, she had so much disgust and anger and grief about like how, you know, white people, western Europeans have just gone all over um and like stolen from these cultures and then selling it back. So I was like, "Whoa," because I do some shamanic drum journey work and I was like, "Whoa, I need to pull it way back. Like Canyon would totally disapprove of this, etc." And then when I went to Indian Canyon and was talking to her mother, the sense that I got from her mother is we need as many healers out there in the world doing healing work. And the sense that I got from her was instead of disconnecting and cutting off our connection is to deepen our connection with different cultures, to deepen our relationship So I am, you know, constantly in the process of sitting there and just being like, because a lot of my work, as you said, draws on many indigenous cultures, which ones do I really feel like I have a deep relationship with that I can like, feel like I can honorably share out there in the world. And if you take a 100 people, There's always going to be one person who's just like, you have no right to be teaching this African-American song. And then you're going to have one person who's just like, good for you for teaching this song, even though you're, you know, Korean-American. And then you'll have 98 people in the middle who have a varying, you know, belief on that spectrum. So I think it comes down to, at the end of the day how do I live in integrity with myself after getting feedback from my, everyone else? But like at the end of the day, it's my integrity with myself and my connection in with any of these things that I'm teaching or sharing. That idea of cultural appropriation, it's its a very tricky one. It's very loaded, and I feel like the West were great at appropriating mm-hmm. and just stealing everyone else's culture because we've destroyed and lost connection with our own.
1: Mm-hmm. You know? And it's such a very real human need. Mm-hmm to have a deep connection and roots. Totally. And ritual. Yeah. The benefits of ritual. Totally. And when we don't get those, then we are starving for it and yeah. look for it elsewhere. Totally. So yeah, it makes sense to deepen but I relationship. Think it, yeah. In
0: all of our cultures, we have you know um, rituals and like practices um, that we could connect with. It's just that it's harder. Because if you've lost something that comes from your own... You're not just going to be like, oh, I'm learning something, you know, like a Native American song. But, like, having to learn a Korean song for me means that I'm going to have to go through all the feelings of, like, why why am I even having to learn this in the first place because I lost it, mm-hmm. you know? Because I, like, lost my birth culture. I lost the language. Mm-hmm. I lost all this connection. So it brings up a lot of feelings for people. So it's just easier to go learn another culture where there's no weird stuff happening at all other mm-hmm. than, like, oh, I might be stealing or appropriating instead of, like, oh, my God, like, I, I'm, I've I'm lost all of this and, like, who am I and my people and I don't even know anything about my roots. I mean, that's a hard journey, but a good journey to go mm-hmm.
1: on. But so I left... I didn't live... To, I left the United States and lived abroad for about three years. Mm. Like, did the classic like find yourself in totally. another country thing, right? right, right <laughs> like right. so many people do. Yeah. Um, Where were you living? I, I lived in Moscow. Oh wow! Yeah. Okay. And then I was took a mini retirement for like, I don't know, maybe eight months. Yeah. Actually, living out of backpack. Okay. And but some people do that like after college, mm-hmm. or high school. Yeah. And I did that in my early thirties. Yeah. So I'm kind of like on a slower train. Which is fine, because it's not a race right? <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah. we're all evolving on our own timeline, totally. but there was something really valuable though mm. about being immersed in a different culture, yeah, like there was able there were things that I was able to see, it's like about the water I was swimming in that I couldn't have mm. seen had totally. I not been immersed in a different culture, yeah, so there's something that's really valuable about yeah, that for sure, yeah. and there's a way of do i mean i don't know and I don't have the answers, yeah. but there's a way of like really appreciating and being immersed Mm -hmm. in a different culture Mm -hmm. without disrespecting Mm -hmm. and appropriating Mm -hmm. it, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's part of the way we learn and grow and and build on, like, the wisdom of different groups and how they are fed by different environments. Yeah. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think just, you know, Americans... You know rich people white people whatever mm-hmm. you know is i think acknowledging the privilege that we have and being able to even go to these other cultures absolutely and to learn you know
1: absolutely So yeah most people <laughs> in developing
0: countries will never have access to do this right so acknowledging we even have the privilege to do that is a big thing but yeah i mean i think like hardline approaches of like you know you should never, you know, be sharing or teaching or making money or doing anything, you know, from another culture. I'm not so hardline about it. I think that there's so many factors and variables and a lot of it is learning about the other culture, honoring where it comes from, like what if you're teaching a song or whatever, acknowledging, finding a way to like deepen our connection in with that culture finding ways of like monetarily giving back mm-hmm. so if I'm making financial gain how do I like support some of the local communities or give back mm-hmm. um, so there are ways of doing it that I think can be respectful, acknowledging that we even have privilege in the first place to be doing this and I think that's why so many of these indigenous cultures or people from the developing world are so angry because they don't have access to this mm-hmm. You know that we have so finding ways of like
1: m- leveraging our privilege mm-hmm. you know, and giving back mm-hmm. What are some some of the key ways you nurture and protect yourself? Mm. Because you have had quite a journey, Mm -hmm. and you've come a long way.
0: I think music is still my highest form Mm. of healing. Being able to spend time with my breath, with my emotions, with my body, and to see what sounds want to come through me that day, what needs to be released, what wants to be expressed, Music is such a gift, so the gift of music is in me and like allowing myself the gift of time to be able to connect in and express. Music is one of my favorite practices to go to, to help Mm -hmm. nurture and protect, express, heal, transform, you know, inspire, like all good things come from music. I love living in the Bay Area because we have so many tools, so much help. For me, I've gone through waves where it's very hard to ask for help. And then finally when I'm on my knees and there's no other option but asking for help. So I'm trying to get better. And it's like a, a muscle of being able to just be like, you know yeah. what? I'm stuck here. Yeah. I'm stuck And to realize there are people in the Bay Area and all over the world who, like, they have moved through this before me. Mm -hmm. They have tools to offer and to help. So to humble myself, to just ask for help, and once I do open myself to it, it's like, boom, the help comes flooding Mm -hmm. in. You know, right now I am seeing a um, sex and intimacy coach. And before things that I was just like, well, this is just the way my relationship is. Well, we're just in these patterns. What can I do about it? This is, you know, to realize actually, no, you can go to a coach who's like, oh, well, let me give you some, you know, suggestions or guidelines here or help of how you could respond to your wife that would like help her feel better or feel seen or heard. I'm like, oh my God, there's actually help possible for this?
1: (laughs) Wow. Amazing. We don't have
0: to be stuck in our patterns for the rest of our lives. (laughs) great yeah it's like mind-blowing like any quote-unquote problem or issue that people have there is someone here who can help you yeah you know so one of the ways um is just for me to be like okay I've tried on my own for a while on this issue it does not seem to be getting better like how can I just go get support whether it's through a therapist or a coach or whatever so yeah I'd say nature nature is a huge resource yeah just being out in nature and just feeling the vibrations of nature which is non-neurotic non you know striving must be better than
1: i am a tree is just a tree yeah <laughs> you know so and I mean, there's nothing to prove totally They're just like rooted and growing right you know like i'm just doing what i do totally you know? <laughs> yeah
0: so i love being out in nature and then also just being in community you know community 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 for joy for grief or for
1: every emotion just to be held that's beautiful. Yeah. Mm, that's so wonderful that you've cultivated that mm. and created that mm-hmm. and fostered and nurtured that as yeah. well. Yeah. I'm an Aquarius. What can I do? <laughs> oh, <cool. laughs> Aquarius. What's one of the hardest lessons? Or one of the lessons that's <laughs> taken you the longest to learn?
0: <laughs> I, I'll just speak about a few things that come to mind. Um, I feel that I had so much self-hatred. I didn't want to be in this body, I didn't want to be Asian, I didn't want to be adopted into a white family, I wanted to be white, I didn't want to look like this, I wanted to be more feminine, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be queer, like, so many, like, I didn't want this body and this identity, and at this point, I'm just like, I am so glad that I am me, and I am in this body, and what a great, like, vehicle for me to express who I am in this lifetime, So, yeah, going from self-hatred to self-love. And still, it's a little bit of a journey for me around my um, non-binary and trans identity. But, yeah, the other day, someone was, like, saying, like, oh, and Amber, blah, 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 she teaches, blah, blah, blah. And I just said, they. Like, just simply, they. And they're like, oh, sorry, you know. But I was like, yay, in a public setting, I just... You know, Mm. spoke up and just one simple they to correct them without making a big deal of it. So that felt really empowering. So I think just, like, being who I am. Like, first of all, figuring out who I am. You know, like, I was trying to, like, fit in and be all these, you know, people that people wanted me to be. Okay, let me grow my hair long. All right, let me dress like this. Okay, let me go act like that. Okay, let me, you know. And now I'm just like, let me just be me. So now I've, like, figured out more and more. And I'm still in the process of figuring out. But I feel like there's, you know, not so much like, oh, I want to fit in. I don't want to fit in anymore. I want to belong and I want all of us to belong as we are. That's a huge distinction. Totally. Between fitting fitting in
1: versus belonging.
0: (laughs) Totally. Feels totally different. Very different. Yeah. So yeah, I don't. I'm all about belonging and creating a culture of belonging for all of us. I'm really proud of like, I'm standing in my power and this body in this lifetime. I'm proud of like all the work that I've done around my voice. Like, I hear my voice sometimes, I'm like, oh my god, that is so beautiful. Like, look at the emotion you're expressing there, of like, such tenderness, or longing, or joy, or whatever it might be, you know, sadness that day. So I'm really proud of the work that I've done on my voice. I'd say the hardest of all of these is basically relationship. Yeah, so it took me, like... Um, I was always kind of envious of people who found their, like, soulmate or their partners in their, like, 20s or 30s. And I'd just be like, why am I just going from one bad one-night stand to the next? (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe if I'm lucky, a bad six-month relationship to the next, you know? So, um, yeah, like, I spent a lot of time when I was 39 really calling in my partner Mm -hmm. and doing a lot of visioning work and a lot of um, manifesting, you know, and getting clear on who I was and who I wanted to bring in. And so I met my wife, and um, we met on her exact 40th birthday because um, she was calling me in too. So now that we're married, people are like, how is marriage? How, how is it post-wedding? I'm like, it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could be like, it's blissful. But yeah. no, now we're in deeper layers. So yeah. I think relationship is super challenging for me of how to just really love another being and do it with kindness. You know, there's ways that I can get a little mean Yeah, that's my work these days, you know. And our son is out of the house, so there's, you know, it's just me and her right now, which means that all of our stuff is bubbling to the surface. I'm committed in this lifetime to like, I feel like I can be pretty kind to the average human being, but to my wife, I'm like, hmm, needs a little extra help there. So I would love in this lifetime to be like, wow, I was consistently kind mm. to my wife and the people who are very close to me, because I can be kind to like strangers and like my students, but like to the people who are close in
1: day after day, I want to be kind to them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, For those that are listening who don't have much familiarity Mm. with people that use non-binary pronouns, Uh can you explain that a little bit?
0: So basically, um, English is set up in a binary of he or she. So you're a man or you're a woman, and which pronoun am I going to use for you? So I believe that I have multiple genders. I believe that there are many, many, many more gender options in this universe other than he or she. And if you look at certain cultures, like the Navajo culture, they have four genders. I mean, different cultures all over the world will have more options than just two. I used she pronouns for most of my life, and then in the last couple years, really with the help of a lot of the younger generation, they are so ahead of the game. They really are. They're leading the way. It's amazing with gender yeah. stuff. You know, I started to meet more people who used z or they pronouns, and I was like, "What is that?" And it was like really uncomfortable for me. And then I started to real- realize later that like maybe I have some discomfort because I'm meeting
1: myself. <laughs> <laughs> ding 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 ding
0: ding ding, 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 ding. <laughs> So um, yeah I like started to read more and talk to people more and I realized oh right mm-hmm. like that little she or the he box feels very limiting yeah. and small and um I use they them pronouns so look at me and see like eight million of me, see all my beautiful
1: genders. Thank you for explaining yeah. that. Yeah. I recently read an article that talked about—I don't remember which Native American tribe—but mm-hmm. they identified five different genders, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it made so much sense. Yeah, and it—I could think of people in every single category. Right. And it is difficult. Yeah. <laughs> for, like, I've grown up with just two yeah. options, and my language is around two, and totally. I find myself slipping into just the binary right. language and. It's something that we can retrain, I think, mm-hmm. and I appreciate your journey mm-hmm. and speaking to that yeah. and all the work that it's taken yeah. to pull back the layers of that and investigate that and find the support and yep. and to embody it and, mm-hmm. and love yourself.
0: Mm, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's a journey for sure. And yeah, language, you know, sometimes when I meet people from other cultures, they're just like, oh, we couldn't even have this in our culture. There's right. nothing in the language. You know, and I'm like, well, this is why language is evolving, you know, and we can change language to keep up to date with how things are changing in the world.
1: What are you most proud of about your life from where you are at right now? This is an invitation to really brag about yourself. (laughs) I'm most proud of
0: the continual growing that I'm doing. I love healing and growing and transforming and feeling like i am constantly stepping into more and more of my power whether that's in my career or that's in identifying you know limitations around like how i am in relationship like i just want to be the best version of myself and i want to inspire all of us to be the best version of ourselves where we're all in our power So I'm really proud of the work that I've done on myself and that I'm proud of the impact that I've had on other people, inspiring and giving them tools to really be their bigger, fuller, more beautiful selves.
1: Thank you for doing that. Mm. I love that. Is there anything else you want to share?
0: Well, I just wanted to share. I'm so grateful to be having this conversation with you. I've been seeing the sun shining (laughs) on your face the whole time. You're like a beautiful angel.
1: (laughs) Oh, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, This is... I really... I believe with every cell of me, we are all deeply connected. Mm -hmm. But we also have each unique challenges. Right? And so... And gifts. yeah, And gifts. Exactly. And Mm -hmm. so when we do the work to really own and heal Mm -hmm. and embody that, Mm -hmm. both divine beauty and wholeness mm-hmm. as well as the shadow and mm-hmm. the pain like when you find freedom i find freedom yeah. when i find freedom you find totally. it and then you get to share that and that is like what i think we're here for yeah and so i'm just so thankful yeah for the work you've done mm-hmm. and for sharing it and the work you continue to do mm-hmm. and it's an honor to share the journey oh thank you i'm so glad yeah. that you're doing these podcasts thank you for sharing the life mm-hmm. all right love The invitation and call to action from this episode is to consider what help am I afraid to ask for? What is one small next step I could take towards a solution that could potentially transform my life? And consider, how can I integrate the healing power of music and ritual into my life? Then take the next best step. Thank you so much for listening. Again, that was Amber Field. Their fall programs kick off October 9th in the San Francisco Bay Area. Go to amberfieldmusic.com to learn more about ongoing events, teachings, and offerings. Please go to she'sher.com to keep in touch and learn of more opportunities to stay connected. Tune in to our next episode. More inspiration, wisdom, and insight is on the way. Until next time, standing in our collective liberation, be well.